0: Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Should almost fall open to there by now. I'm going to read through the first 16 verses, which is really the subject matter that we're covering, where, that I believe where God is heading us preparing us. There's more beyond this, but this is the steps we're going through right now. And I get impatient sometimes. I want to I wanna get on. I'm during, during praise and worship. I'm other things coming to me and, that I want to get into and teach you and, and show you. And, and, uh, and I'm just, I, I have no, it just keeps bubbling up in me. And yet, I really sense the Spirit of God saying, Take your time. This is not a race. Let's get through it one thing at a time. And let, let the Spirit of God, see, it's a process. We take the Word of God and we sow the Word of God in our hearts. But then the Spirit of God who's in us takes that Word and begins to work it in your life. Because as we're going to see later today, it, it, the, just knowing the Word isn't good enough. It says that you begin to act on that Word that it begins to take fruit in your life. It begins to blossom and bloom and take fruit in your life. And so the Spirit of God takes the real life situations that you go through. See, this is the training class. This is where, this is where your, things are shown to us, and this is where things are put in us. But it's out there that we begin to exercise them. And as you exercise them, that's when they become more and more real to you and become more and more a part of who you are. And it's more and more the process of changing us into the image of Christ. So this is kind of our blueprint, Ephesians chapter 4. And it starts, of course, there, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were all called, in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he gave, led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Down Down in verse 11. And he himself gave some of these gifts as apostles some as prophets, some as evangelists and pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, that means mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we're no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up, in all things, into Him, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working, by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying or building of itself in love. What we're talking about is that when we're born again, you have a calling upon your life, and so Paul talks about. It. He says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren." to walk worthy of the calling with which you've already been called. When I was born again, I didn't know what I got into. I didn't even know I was born again. I just knew something happened. I just knew that Jesus was now real to me. I'd known about him since I was a little boy. I was raised in Sunday school. But nobody taught me that you must be born again. And then I was in my living room. Some friends of ours had been praying for us and been witnessing to us, and I was doing the very best I could to run away from them and to run away from Jesus. I was a successful lawyer. I didn't want anything fooling around with this. I I was a good person. In my eyes, I was. I didn't cheat on my taxes. I didn't cheat on my wife. I was actually an honest lawyer. What are you laughing at? We have some in this congregation. And I, you know, there was, I don't want to get into that. There were all kinds of pressures on me to bend the rules and things like that. I wouldn't do it. And I was a good person, and I was a good person going to hell. (laughs) And that was standing in my way because I was a good person. I didn't need that stuff. That was for some of you (laughs) (laughs) who knew who you were. You knew you needed help. I was doing well, and the Spirit of God began to open my eyes and show me, it was called conviction, that I wasn't doing as well as I thought I was doing. In God's eyes, I wasn't. By my fellow lawyers, I was doing well. By my own standard, I was doing well. But God began to open my eyes and show me I'm not measured by my standard. I'm not measured by my fellow lawyers. I'm not measured by my friends and my neighbors. I'm measured by his word. And I read where Jesus said to his disciples, you must be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And that cut right through me like a knife. Because I knew I wasn't perfect. I was good, but I wasn't perfect. And I re- literally the words out of my mouth is, if that's true, I need a Savior. And then I heard what I said. I heard what I said, got on my knees and cried out to Him. And He saved me, praise God. That was 33 years ago. I think it was somewhere around 33 years ago. And I discovered that God wasn't finished with that. He was just beginning, that He was in work at me to do something, that He had a purpose for my life, and He's a purpose for your life. And what we began to look at, as these scriptures tell us, is that purpose is literally to change us into the image of Christ, that God has a picture of you in His refrigerator, and it's Jesus is that you end up walking, talking, and thinking and acting just like he did when he walked on this earth. And that we together are his body so that as we function together, we will be Jesus functioning on the earth. And Faith Christian Center is a part of that body. And so what we've begun to study is that this, these scriptures teach us that God has a process by which he brings that about in our lives. His method is always that he calls you to something and then he works in you to train you and equip you so that you'll begin to live up to what he's already called you to do. See, in the world, we work it the other way around. In our system, we tell you, we figure out where we want to get to, and we, we look at somebody and we assess their assets and their liabilities. We look at their resume. We look at their job application to decide what we think they're qualified for, and then we offer them a job or we say yes or no to a job based on what we the qualifications that we see. If that were so, we wouldn't qualify to do anything for God. But God does it the other way around. He, he, he decides where he wants you to be, and then he calls you to begin to act like who he's already made you to be. And so that's the process. And the process is laid out in here. And we began to look last week at this specifically. In verse 11 it says, And to do this he gave gifts to men. And those gifts are the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor, and the teacher. They're no better than anybody else. They're, they're, but what they are, are they are people. They're, it's, a, it's a responsibility it's a, posi- it's a responsibility, it's a, it's a job description that God has given to some members of the body of Christ. And that purpose we see in verse 12 is to equip the saints. And we discussed we discussed it many times, but last week we specifically went through again, that saints does not mean somebody who's a special Christian, it means you're, that you're a Christian. The word saints comes from the Greek word that just means sanctified or set apart. And you've been set apart by the world. And what sets you apart from the world is God's spirit lives in you. That's how you were born again. You were born again by the spirit of God coming inside of you. You cannot be born again without the spirit of God coming inside of you. And when he came inside of you, he made you alive unto God. He put God's nature in you. And if you could look at us simply as spirit beings, you're all marked. We're all marked. Because the Spirit of God is in you. And therefore, you are a saint. And that means that, see, that's nice to, you know, have only a select few that some committee votes as saints. Because that means they got all the responsibility. And we just look up to them. It's just like, you know, when Jesus is looked up to them, we should look up to and in respect to him. But, you know, if I brought him up on stained glass windows and, he's, and there's nothing wrong with that, it's just that that's what he's like. If, he's, if we see him as, as Jesus did all the things that he did because he's the Son of God, he's the second person of the Godhead, that's wonderful to look up at him, but how, what, how does that affect me? So there's this great separation. There's Jesus, Lord, of course he is because he's the Son of God, but I'm just some lowly worm. Remember lowly worm? I'm just some lowly worm. I can't do anything. But that's not what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches that the Son of God became a man and dwelt among us. He didn't do the miracles he did. He didn't love people. He didn't speak the way he did by some special dispensation because he was God's son. He did it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in him. And then before he left, he said, because I leave, it's at your advantage because when I leave, I'm going to ask the Father. And the same spirit that's been in me is now going to be in you. Therefore, the same things I have did, you can do and greater things he said. So it's important to recognize these things. And so these gifts are given to us, and this is what we looked at last week, to equip us so that we can do the work or the service of the ministry. And we looked at this word uh, equipped last week. And we're just going to finish up that discussion, and if there's there's time we'll move into the next, next phase of this process. And we looked at this word equipped, which is katarismo, which literally has two basic meanings to it. The first meaning is to mend something. It comes from the word that originally was used for the mending of a broken bone. And we talked about the fact that, 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 that for somebody to do that requires skill, requires skill and hopefully experience. So that what their job is to take that bone and to get it positioned in such a way that it will actually mend itself by getting it in the right position. And so we see that one of the functions of these gifts is to help the different parts of the body that are broken begin to get in right position with one another so that we this, the life that's in us by the Spirit of God can begin to mend the hurts and the brokenness. It's also the word that was used in, in the Gospels when Jesus approached uh, 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 Peter and his brother Andrew and also then J, G, uh, John and uh, his brother James, and he found them. They were mending. fishermen, and they were mending their nets. That means they were taking something that was once whole and was been torn or broken, and they were piecing it back together. That required skill. It required ability. So these gifts are given to the body of Christ. One of their purposes is to equip us, but that equipping has as its first meaning to make us whole, to make us whole, because a healthy body can perform better than a body that's not healthy. A body that's hurting does not perform as well as a body that's, that's, that's free from pain. If, if you've ever gone through any form of surgery, you find out that what they did, the purpose of the surgery was to make you better. But in the process of making you better, you hurt. Fred was talking to me this morning, went through some surgery on his knee. And now he's going through the, 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 the therapy afterwards. And he said, the, therapy I could, the next day after the therapy, I can't even walk. But the therapy as he goes through it, will help him get stronger. But it requires skill to do that. And so these gifts are gifts that God has given ability to, not because they're special or anybody better than anybody else, but it's a function. It's a role. It's a job description. And one of their jobs is to bring wholeness and healing and health. And as, as we've shared last week, a doctor does not, cre- does, not, does not make you healthy, but he has the knowledge and the skill to help work with your body so that your body can heal itself. And it's the same process of the body of Christ. You and I are in this body to help bring healing to one another. And what these gifts do is they help us learn how to do that. But there was a second meaning to the word, <coughs> excuse me, the word carotismo, uh, which is to, to equip. And that mean comes from a word that was used when they were going to send a ship back out, whether it was to a, a, a cargo ship or whether it was a fishing vessel. Is before they would send it out, they made sure that it was, it was equipped with what it needed to perform its job. So if it was, they would check the hull and make sure that it was not leaking. They would make sure that the sails did not have tears in them. They would make sure that the lines or the ropes that they used to to manipulate and raise those sails and direct those sails, that they did not have breaks in them. They would make sure that there were enough provisions on board. In other words, everything that they needed in order to carry out that responsibility, they made sure was there and in good shape before they set out to sail because you get out there a year or so and that's not the time to find out you've got a problem. We want to find it out when you're among the resources that can fix the problem. And that's really what this is like in here. This is the dock. This is where you come to get outfitted. This is where you come to get your rigging repaired. This is where you come to get your sails sewn up. This is where you come to get revitalized and your food stores and your water stores filled up again so that you can go back out and do the work that you're called to do. So the word out, the word equipped also means not only to mend, but to give to you the equipment, the, the preparation, the training that you, we need in order to do what we're called to do. And so that's what we looked at last week. And we talked at the end about why, why is this all so important? I mean, why, Pastor, are you spending really now two Sundays talking about this one word, equipping? There's so many more important things to do. Because if we do not understand the process Then we will not learn how to cooperate with the process. Just as when you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, All right, we talked about this at the end. The doctor said, All right, you've got bronchitis. Remember, I was coughing up here as as an exercise, and and, and the doctor listens to your lungs and may even take an x-ray and says, No, there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong is you have a bronchitis. You have an infection in your lungs, and here there's a prescription. If you go take this to the pharmacy, and the pharmacy fills it, and you take those pills for the 10 days, twice a day, then what will happen is it will trigger, it's an antibiotic. It will will produce a small measure of of, of something in your body that will trigger your body's own defense mechanism, which are antibodies, which will now attack this bacteria and destroy it. But you've got to take it morning and night for 10 days. Well, if you don't know what to do with that, the doctor can be the greatest doctor in the world and give you the greatest wisdom in the world. But if you don't know how to cooperate with the doctor, it won't do you any good, will it? You can say, I got a great doctor. Oh, he's so nice. He's got such a great manner about him. He's so wise. He's a great diagnostician. He gives the greatest, you know, but you don't do what he says to do. You'll die (laughs) having a great doctor having a prescription in your hand or you can go further you can have the prescription and you can know what to do with it i go down to the pharmacy and i give it to them and i come back in a couple of hours and i get the bottle of pills and i take them home wonderful great doctor perfect prescription the right pills but if you don't know what to do with the pills it doesn't do you any good it's only when you what take the pills and then we finished up by saying and then you could even go further you can have the good doctor who's a, di- a diagnosed the problem and you can, and this doctor can have given you the right prescription and you could have filled the prescription and you've taken those pills morning and night and th- two or three days later you're now feeling better i feel great it's all gone but the doctor said take all the pills and you measure what you're feeling against what the doctor said and decide to go by what you feel and not what the doctor says, guess what will happen? It will come back, most likely. Because the doctor knows more than... you. Look at this. You're paying him or her. Why? Why don't you pay yourself? Why don't you pay yourself and go treat yourself? You're paying the doctor because... You've got some confidence that doctor knows more than you do. What amazed me when I practiced law. How many times a client would sit in my office, tell me what their problem was, and tell me what the answer was? <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, they're charging, I don't know, what remember what it was. It was almost $300 an hour when I did it. It was 11 years ago. Wow, 11 years ago. And, and you know, and the firm's charging you $300 to sit in my office and tell me what you need to do why did you stay home and save the $300 an hour and just do what you think you're going to do? It's amazing. We're paying all that money because they know more than we do, but we don't listen to what they say. So it's important for this process that God has ordained to work that we understand what that process is. So that's where we got to last week. Now what we're going to do is we're going to continue to talk about being equipped as saints. So turn with me this week to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to continue to learn how to cooperate with these gifts that God has given to us so that we can be equipped, mended and outfitted for what we need to do. Now, in Luke's account of this, it's the parable of the sower. In Luke's account of this, Jesus says, basically, to the effect that if you can understand this parable, you can understand everything else. In other words, he's saying this is the key to everything that I'm saying and doing with you. And let's start in verse 1, Matthew 13, verse 1. On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into the boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then Jesus spoke things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places and some did not have much earth and they immediately, they sprang up because they had no depth of earth. And when the sun was dried up, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. The seed withered away. And some of these seeds fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some 100, some 60, and some 30. Now look what he says here. He who has ears to hear Let him hear. He says that again in the New Testament in the last book, the book of Revelation, when he comes back and appears to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. And in the beginning of that letter, in the beginning of that appearance or vision, He says, I want you to write a letter to seven of the churches, a separate letter to each of the seven main churches in what was then Asia Minor. And having written these letters, at the end of each one of these, which are basically a report card, I know what you're doing right, and I know what you're doing wrong, he ends each of them with these words, these same words, he who has ears to hear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, shouldn't it be obvious? Why would he need to tell us to hear something that we're hearing? Well, that's what we're going to find out this morning. Because part of this process of cooperating with the gifts that God gives to us to equip us, to mend us, and outfit us for the service... Part of that process is learning how to cooperate with them and it really comes down in as simple as this is learning how to listen. Learning how to listen. There's a difference between hearing and listening. There's a difference between hearing and Listening. The Greek word for hear is akuo, A-K-U-O. And that word not only means to hear the information, but it means to listen to it with the intention of acting on it. Ever notice that you can come to a service and hear a message, and, and you say, wow, that was great. Oh, it was so exciting. And you realize you've heard that before, but it didn't excite you so much. Many times that's because you're in a different place. It's the same word, but now you're, you're, you're stuck. You're in a mess, and that word spoke right to where you were, and it gave you some instructions on what to do. Why? Now all of your antennae are up because you're listening to that because you know you need to take what's being said and apply it in your life. When the Titanic was going down and they were putting people in the few lifeboats that they had, I'm sure they were giving them instructions on what to do. And they probably didn't have to say, he who has ears to hear, let him listen, let him hear. What do I have to do? So Jesus is saying here at the end of this parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now look at what he goes on, what happens. All Jesus does is tell the parable. He tells a simple story. And now look what happens. Now, now, (laughs) this is Jesus, the Son of God, who is all of these five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. He's all of them rolled into one. He is a gift of God to the world at that time. And he's assembled these disciples together. And he's got a crowd gathered around him. God has come to earth, taken on flesh. And God is speaking to people. And how does he do it? He tells them a simple story. And then what does he do? He goes up the mountain. And notice what happens. Verse 10. And the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them, the crowd, in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it's not been given. Now, wait a minute. Let's, if you take a verse like that out of context and you form your image of God based on that, you'll form the wrong image of God. That almost sounds like God's picking favorites. I got this group over here. They're my favorites. To you, the special group has been given to understand what this means. But to the rest of you... You're in tough shape. Sorry, I just love them better than I love you. Now that can't be what God me what God's like, because the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. Several places, it says, He shows no partiality. In the letter of James, he tells us that it, to show partiality is sin. Now God would not tell us to not do something and call it sin, and then he's doing it. So that can't be what it means. Well, what does it mean? Well, let's go on and look, because he gives us the answer. Why has it been given to them to understand the mysteries and it's not been given to the others? Verse 12, for whoever has, to him will more be given, and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he does have, will be taken away from. Now, let's stop again. How can something be taken away from you that you don't have? To him who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away from. Am I the only one that thinks that sounds confusing? Verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says, Hearing you will hear... And not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of the people have grown dull. There's the key. Their eyes are hard of hearing, excuse me, their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes or hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn or repent that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you many prophets or righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, what is that all about? Verse 11. Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. Why? For he who has, to him more will be given. To him who has what? Ears to hear. In other words, you can have ears that God's given you the capacity to listen and to hear but you can choose not to use them. Right. Yeah. And Jesus is using a method which is consistent with God's character. He tells a story, and then he simply withdraws. And those that want to know what it means came to him and asked him what it meant. Why? Because they had ears They hear it, and they wanted to understand what God was saying to them through Jesus. That goes on today. Because sitting in your lap right now is a word from God to you, to your neighbors, to your family, to your friends, to your people that you work with. It's out there to the whole world. It's out there. But you're here today because you want to know more of what God's saying to you through that word. So you're here today because you have more of a desire to hear what that means for your life than others that are not here. But even among us who are here, there can be more to hear than others here. So don't just feel so self-satisfied because I'm here. You're now in a place where you can really hear. Now he goes on to explain this parable and what it means. And he explains to them that here's the elements. You've got the sower. That's the husband and that's the farmer which represents God. And what's sown is the word of God, which isn't just the Bible. It's God's speakings. God's speaking to them. And you've got the same sower, the same seed, but different results. In one case, the birds come along and they just pick the seed up and take it away before it ever produces anything. The second group of seed began to grow a little bit and it shot up quickly. But when the sun came out, the heat of the sun and the pressure of the elements, it dried up. The third seed was stronger. It grew, and it grew up stronger, and it began to produce, but other things grew up with it. Weeds, basically. And the result was that these these seeds that grew up, that the the farmer sowed, didn't produce any fruit or didn't produce much fruit. So you have some seeds that produce nothing. You have some seeds that produced plants, but it didn't, didn't produce any fruit, fruit. You have others that produced, that grew and produced some fruit, but it was weak fruit. And then you have the last group that produced much fruit, some 30, some 60, and some a hundredfold, or multiplied times the seed that was planted. So if it's the same seed, it's the same farmer, same attention. But very different results. What's the difference? The difference was what it was sown in, what it was planted in. And what it was planted in represents the heart of man. The soil in this parable represents the heart of man. And the first seed that was sown was sown on hearts that just didn't want to hear anything. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't have anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with the Word of God. I don't, I don't care about God. I'm, my and my heart just hard. And what happens is the enemy comes and steals it before the Word can even get planted. The second heart is a heart that's open and you can plant the word into it, but it's shallow. There's no depth to that heart. Depth of caring, depth of commitment, depth of love of God. It, 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 it's, it's you, know, I, you know, I love God, but I love all kinds of other things. So I come to church and I hear God's Word, but I really don't expect it or want it to change my life very much. I feel better because I come. You know, I understand there's all kinds of motives for coming to church, and you can have one motive this week and another motive next week. So, sometimes our motive is to come because we feel better because we went to church. I remember before I was saved, and I go to, went to church almost every Sunday because my family went to church. And I went to church to fulfill my obligation. And some of you did the same thing. So when I left, I felt good about myself because I'd given God 40 minutes. I think that's what the service lasted, if it lasted that long. No, it was lasted an hour, excuse me, because the, 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 the sermon lasted 10 minutes. And I felt good about myself all day because I'd gone to church. I'd fulfilled my, I didn't know any better. I'd fulfilled my obligation. So I heard the word, and, and, and you know, it got in there a little bit, and I felt better. But when I got back out there, when I went back to work or went back to school or whatever it was, that, whatever stage of my life, what happened is the pressure began to bear in on me. I forgot what I, I didn't, didn't pay attention, because I didn't hear it with the intention of having it produce any change in me. I heard it. Oh, listen carefully. It's you purpose in why you're hearing the word. You decide why you're hearing it. And what you decide will determine what that word can do in you. I listened to the word back in those days because it made me feel better about myself. And it worked. I felt better about myself. It didn't change anything, but that wasn't my intention. In fact, I really didn't want it to change anything. I wanted to feel better about myself. Am I the only one? I'm feeling awful uncomfortable here. (laughs) I know I'm not the only one. So there was some soil there that I was receiving it. But it wasn't producing any lasting results. It just made me feel better. Then there's the soil where the word's planted, the seed's planted, and it takes root, and it begins to grow, but other things are in there. The, the soil hasn't been broken up. There's, cl- there's cl- clogs in there, which is dirt that's pressed together, and it's hard. So the, 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 the seed could grow, and it would follow the path of least resistance, But there were hard things in there that needed to be broken up because where that was, it couldn't help the soil, it couldn't help the plant grow. But other things could grow in there because other things were sown in there. Weeds. And he goes on to explain that those are the cares and the issues of life. And so that kind of soil is open to whatever gets planted. We're just open. Open to the word of God, but open to whatever anybody says. Anybody can speak into my life. Anything can speak into my life. So that soil not only receives the Word, and the Word can grow in it, but it also receives other things. CNN. Fox News. I'll give them equal time. (laughs) Nothing wrong with those things. But what are you sowing in your heart? Because whatever you sow, if it's soil, if it's good soil, whatever you sow will grow. If your heart is open and you want to grow and learn and do the things of God, your heart is open. Peter, the Apostle Peter, in one chapter, within a few verses, a one moment said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and says, Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father is in heaven. And Peter's going, oh, looks at the other 11. And a few moments later, Jesus talks again about, I've got to go to Jerusalem to die. Then Peter goes and rebukes him. And now Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter was just open. He couldn't discern whether it was the voice of God speaking to him or was it the voice of the enemy speaking. He was just open. And we don't have time this morning to go into why. Why? So, we have a role to play in what that seed, that word, can do in our lives by what we determine we want it to do. You will not grow or change beyond where you're willing to grow or change. You will not grow or change beyond where you're willing to grow and change. This parable teaches us that we determine what God's able to do in us. Not that God has favorites. I've known people that were born again a short time and grew very quickly and matured very quickly. And I've known other saints that have been walking supposedly walking with the Lord for years and years and years and hadn't grown very much at all and been in church every Sunday, every Wednesday night. It was what they determined to do. So how well these five gifts that we've seen in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, how well they can equip us, according to verse 12, is in large part determined by how willing we are to be equipped. How willing we are to be equipped. Turn with me to... Um, Let's see which one we go to next. Let's go to Matthew to uh, James chapter 1. We have to ask ourselves some hard questions. I was meditating on this the other day and Spirit of God began to talk to me and say, you know, you need to listen to this yourself. I want to say, well, let's see, now you understand, Lord, I'm a pastor, so I'm an equipper, right? No, no, I'm also a saint, so I need to be equipped. So I got to do what I'm teaching you. In fact, I'm really preaching to myself this morning. I'll let you listen in. I'm feeling awful alone up here. (laughs) You guys are looking at me like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) All right. James chapter (laughs) 1. Verse 21. Familiar verses. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and the overflow or excess of wickedness, receive with meekness... The implanted word. Notice you have to receive it and it's planted. Someone has to plant it. And then you have to receive it. Now you can plant it in yourself. But it has to be planted intentionally. And then you have to receive it. And notice that you have to receive it with humility. Humility just, really what humility means is recognizing who you are and what you can do apart from God. Humility recognizes, I need to change. Humility is an attitude that says, I do not want to stay where I am. I'm not content with where I am. I must change and grow. Part of growing is recognizing where you are, because if you think you're somewhere beyond where you are, you're not going to grow very much, because you don't think you need to grow. So the meekness or humility here is to recognize your need to grow and change. And as you recognize your need to grow and change, you'll be more open to receive this word implanted in your heart and in your soul. So receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul or bring the salvation that was birthed in you when you were born again. Bring that into fullness in your soul. Paul talks at one point, he says, work out your salvation. That means to take what's been put in you and work it to the outside. We're going to talk about work next week. Receive with meekness the word implanted which is able to save your soul. And here's how you do it. But be doers of the word and not hearers only who deceive yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But if he looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is the word, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this one will be blessed in what he does." You no, know, what he's saying here is when you receive the word, if you're receiving it with the intention of putting it into practice in your life and with the intention of changing, then that word will go with you when you leave here. Otherwise, it's like looking at yourself in a mirror or somebody in a, in a picture, and then when you haven't seen them for a while, their image begins to fade away. Why? Because the evidence of what you've seen is not constantly put in front of you. You're going by your memory. So when we come into a service and we hear the word and we know God's spoken to us, and we say, wow, wasn't that great? We took notes. But we didn't do it with the intention of changing. We didn't do it with the intention of applying it in our lives. Instead, we did it by just feeling good. Wow, God spoke to us. We're on track here. And we leave and go back out there and do what we were going to do all along. Then what happens is we forget it. And we can leave here on Monday. We woke up and said, yeah, wasn't Sunday was great? and Go to work the next day. Well, how was yours? Oh, it was good. We had a great time. Oh, oh the anointing was strong. And it was wonderful. And you go out into the world. and just But, you know, by Tuesday, it's kind of vague memory. And by Wednesday, it's Wednesday. Time to come Wednesday night and hear something else. And by Friday, we've forgotten it. I opened some notes the other day. I was looking back at notes of two or three years ago and Realized God was speaking to me then, and I just looked at the notes, and they were good notes, and I hadn't opened them since. Am I the only one that did that? Okay, all right, just just making sure, okay. And I realized God was speaking to me then, and there's some things that, that, that will benefit me now, but they could have benefited me over these last three years. The word "here" means to listen with the intention of applying it in my life. And really what I did then is I took the the prescription, stuck it in my notebook, and closed my notebook and said those were great meetings. And yet God was speaking to us. God was speaking to me. Turn with me to Ezekiel. Chapter 33. Now, chapter 33 is a famous chapter. The beginning of it is where God speaks to Ezekiel the, 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 the lesson of the watchman, which was basically a warning to him saying that the watchmen back in those days, of course, cities were many of the cities were walled and they had watch towers, which were it's basic intervals. And they, the job of, of the watchman was to stand watch up there and do just what that says. There's nothing sophisticated. It's to watch. And if it's, the warning is if you see an enemy approaching and you sound the alarm and the people don't do anything, they stay outside the city walls and they stay outside there and the enemy comes and destroys them, then their blood is on their own hands, because you've cried out, you've done your job. But on the other hand, if you see the if the watchman sees the enemy approaching, and the people are out farming outside because they would farm outside the, the walls of the city, and, and you see the enemy approaching, but you don't sound the alarm, and the enemy comes and destroys them, their blood's on your hand because you didn't sound the alarm. And then there's several warnings to Israel. And then God begins to speak to the prophet as we come to the end of this chapter. So God's told him what to tell the people. And now we're going to look at verse 30. As for you, son of man, now he's talking to the prophet, the children of your people are talking about you besides the walls and in the doors of their houses. In other words, we're looking at this now as one of these gifts. given to the body and he says they're talking about you and they're talking about what you say they're talking about you at home they're talking about you in the door places are they saying good things let's find out and they speak to one another everyone saying to his brother please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord so it's good things So they're going to one another and saying, you need to come here. God's speaking to us. In this this case, in in their synagogue, God's speaking. God's saying great things. We're having great meetings. You need to come. That's good. That's good. So the prophet's feeling good. I'm popular. They like me out there. They're talking about what I say and that God speaks through me. And so the large crowds are beginning to gather and the church is growing and it's getting bigger and bigger because more and more people are coming to hear what God's saying. How can that be bad? Verse 31. So they come to you as people do and they sit before you as my people and they hear your words but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love. But their hearts pursue their what? Their hearts. Where does the seed sown? In the heart. So with their mouth, they're professing great love of me, God says. In other words, let's bring it down. They come and have great worship services. The anointing's present. People's eyes are filled with tears and it's a wonderful service. But in their hearts... Are more concerned with their own lives and what's going in their own lives and on in their own lives. Look at the result of that. Indeed, verse 32, you are to them. No, he's talking about now what these gifts are, because that's their attitude. You are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, and surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Over and over again is that theme in Ezekiel, that they will know that a prophet has been among them. And Israel was at a point at that point place, or Judah was, where they had been taken into captivity. And God sent the prophet Ezekiel to be among them to help guide them through it. And one of the themes that God would say to them through him is that you'll know that I've had a prophet among you, that I didn't abandon you, that God's voice is here speaking to you, but you didn't listen. But notice what he's saying here. God's saying, I've put among you a gift to guide you and to equip you, but you couldn't receive the benefit of it Because although you came, your attitude was this. It was, what a wonderful word we heard. And yet we didn't hear it with the intention of applying it in our lives. And God is saying, that's the same thing as if you went to a nice concert. And said, what a great performance. Oh, the singer was beyond what you could have heard. The instruments were heavenly. What a great time we had. Because when you go to a concert, or a good movie, or a good play, what you come away with is a good experience. But it doesn't change you, does it? Because it's a time, you left the experience there, and the memory of it begins to fade. And what God is saying through Ezekiel is, we, the people of God, can do the same thing with the gifts of God that He gives to us for the purpose, with the Word of God, that he gives to us for the purpose of maturing us and equipping us. The key is what's in our heart and the purpose for which we hear the word of God. If the purpose for which we hear the word of God is so that I can take it in my heart, allow the word to work in me, and begin to grow and apply that word in my life, then that word and those gifts will equip us. They will mend the hurts. They will equip you, with what you need and I need and we need to do what we're called to do. But if we come simply saying what a wonderful time we had, wasn't church good, wasn't the anointing strong, but don't come with the intention of applying it in our lives, then we're just like the parable that Jesus talked about, where it grows up a little bit, but when the pressures of life come, and they will come, it burns it out and it produces no good.